right, we're going to uh, just right, jump right into uh, this morning's message. Let me uh, ask my wife, Joan, to stand up. Uh, Pastor Mike talked about her, but there she is. Joan pastors alongside me. We have pastored now for way too long, and, um, but we continue to do it. I want, I want to talk to you uh, this afternoon about something that I think will be very uh, applicable to you, many of you. Uh, are preparing for ministry. All of you, I hope, are preparing for some kind of influence in the world that we're a part of. And so I want to talk about uh, building influence in a hostile culture. The culture that we presently live in, uh, this nation, has become really hostile. Um, hostile not just because uh, of, of your Christian faith, but if you have different political leanings. I mean, it's just, it's, it's really bad. But here's, here's the thing. I, want, I came across the study of sociologists, and they estimate that even the shyest among us, how many of you would say that you're a relatively shy person, that you're not very outgoing? How, where are the outgoing people? I mean, yeah, there you go. There you go. There you go. The outgoing people. Okay. Now, now get this. In, in this study, they say that even the shyest among us in the course of a lifetime, watch this, will influence somewhere around 10,000 people. Think about that for a moment. Some of you think your influence is really, really small right now. Some of you who are shy figure, you know, how are you going to impact the nations? But, but the question that we need to wrestle with and what we're going to look at today is not how much influence you have. Because I think a lot of times we sit back and we say, well, where are my opportunities to influence? And we're, we're asking ourselves the wrong question. How much influence do I have? Nope. Here's the question that we need to wrestle down today, and we're going we're gonna to try to do that in the next few minutes. This is the question I want you to wrestle with. What am I doing with the influence that I have to make a difference? Not how much do I have, but recognize that you have some level of influence in what you're doing, even as students here. But what are you doing with your influence? What, what are you doing with your influence to make a difference? Just turn to your neighbor right now and say, what are you doing? Come on. What are you doing with your influence? So I got some questions up here. We want to build influence in a hostile culture, but here are some of the things that we're actually facing uh, today. I mean... Think about it. How do followers of Christ positively exert influence in a culture that's filled with so much political divisiveness? I mean, you can't open your mouth these days and, and find, you know, without someone challenging what you believe and why you believe it. Or how about this? How do I, as a follower of Christ, positively exert influence in a culture where that, that's corrupt, rampant and, and, and civility no longer sets the tone for the day. How many of you have found yourselves in arguments that you didn't even anticipate finding yourself in? I mean, the tone of the day is just, so how do I influence? How do I become an influencer as a Christ follower? And the last one is this one. How do I, as a, a follower of Christ, positively exert influence when the hottest issues of the day, the issues that the church ought to be dress, addressing, the, the issues that we as believers ought to be serious about, how do I do it, uh, whether it's uh, talking about immigration, whether it's talking about abortion, whether it's talking about uh, racism, how do I do it in a culture that is just so polarized right now that, that if I open my mouth with the wrong group of people, 
I may find hatred and hostility. See, I, th- I think some of us, you know, in the church say, well, you know, Chris, the answers to your question are, your questions are, are simple. We don't. We can't. As followers of Christ, there would be some in the church that would suggest that as a follower of Christ, we can't thrive in a culture like that. And so they would suggest that it's possibly we just, you know, kind of pull back a little bit, hide within the culture, safely tuck ourselves away in the Christian bubble. But uh, my wife and I are not in that camp. We don't hide ourselves. We try to affect and influence the culture in which God's placed us in. And some of you may be thinking about going to other nations uh, and, and so forth and so on. And so, so I, I want to talk about, you know, thriving as a believer in Jesus in a hostile culture. And I want to use Daniel's life and his story, because I think it's really relevant to this day and this hour. So if you want to grab your Bibles, and you should have Bibles because you're Bible school students, so show me your Bibles. You came to chapel with your Bibles. You can turn them on if you need to and find Daniel, but you should have some form of Scripture in front of you right now. And turn to Daniel chapter 6. And I'm finding, as I study, I've always loved the story of Daniel, but I'm finding that Daniel's story, and I hope you will too in, the, in this brief moment, um, that it's relevant for us today, that there are portions of, of the, the story of Daniel that just uh, really touch what I'm trying to talk about with you today. And so, you know, 2,500 years ago, uh, the culture that Daniel was thrust into makes the culture that we're facing as believers today uh, look like a picnic. You know, he, as a teenager, he was living in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was overthrown by this guy by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. They besieged Jerusalem, captured all of the young men of Jerusalem, and, and marched them off. Marched, didn't, didn't get them in a bus, didn't fly them over, marched them all the way to Babylon. I'm telling you, it wasn't an easy march. It was a hard march. Imagine yourselves. I don't know what your ages are here, but imagine yourself. Most estimate that when this happened, Daniel was a teenager. So say he was 16 years old. So you're a 16-year-old. The city that you've been living in is suddenly besieged and overcome by a foreign power, a ruthless foreign power. They take you captive. You're now a prisoner of war. You're separated from your family, your friends, your homeland, and you're thrust into this culture that is actually hostile to the faith that you believe in. And yet, God raised Daniel up to influence four different administrations of government over a 65-year span. Under Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel was elevated as a ruler over the entire province of Babylon, Under Belshazzar, Daniel was promoted to the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Under King Darius, Daniel was an administrator who helped provide oversight to 120 satraps. And under King Cyrus, it says that Daniel prospered during that man's reign. So the question is, how did Daniel do it? How did he go from nobody to somebody? How did he go from little influence to much influence? How did he go from being a captive to being a leader in the nation of Babylon? There's two words that I want to throw out 
And I want you to think about it's the favor of God. God's favor is how it happens. Daniel's story, you read the story and you see all throughout the story of Daniel, the favor of God. Goes from when he asks not to participate in the feasts of that nation and can he eat his own foods. He finds favor in that situation. He finds favor by God using him to interpret the dreams of two of these kings. See, he's rescued. How many of you learned in Sunday school about the lion's den? That's the favor of God all over his life. And then he's given a position of influence all throughout his life. So here's the thing I want you to understand about the favor of God. Go ahead, next slide. The favor of God is something like this. You can't demand it. You can only position yourself for it. You know, I hear people all the time demanding the favor of God, wanting the favor of God, pursuing the favor of God. You can't demand the favor of God, but you can position yourself to be a recipient of his favor. So look at it with me in Daniel chapter 6. It says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be over the whole kingdom and over these three governors of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them, and so the king would suffer no loss. And this is the verse we're going to drill down into. It says, and then this Daniel, this Daniel, distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over can you read it? The whole realm. The king gave thought. Why? Because Daniel had distinguished himself. And there's a lot of things that we could look at. We study the, the, the book of Daniel. I encourage you to do that in your own personal time. I know you're all super busy with your other assignments. But, but in your own personal time of, of reading the word of God, find a book like Daniel or find a character like Joseph and, and ask yourself as you begin to study this character, what is it that distinguished this individual to be used so mightily of God? And here's the thing. As you study that, do not diminish the possibility that God might want to use you that way too. So if we can learn from these characters and we can learn from these different individuals and, and begin to say, okay, well, how do, what does it mean that he distinguished himself? Well, one of the things I want to point to in this text is what I want to call tested commitment. I think the thing that caused Daniel to distinguish himself amongst all the other governors and amongst all the other satraps that, that the king was watching, when the thing that distinguished Daniel above all of those individuals, was his commitment. And his commitment, not just to the king, but his commitment to his God in the midst of a hostile environment. He was deeply committed to God. So think about commitment and, and, and think about tested commitment. Think about the things that, that we do to test something's value. In other, how many of you ever bought a car? How many of you bought that car without taking it for a test drive? <laughs> Some of us just, it moved, it started, I just, I didn't care, I just drove it, you know. 
But most of us, if we're going to buy or purchase a car or something like that, we take it for a test drive. Why? We want to see how it performs. We want to see if it rides like they said it's going to ride. If you ever come to my house and my wife has made an apple pie, I'm guaranteeing that you're going to want to taste test that just to see the value of that apple pie and how good it is. Then, of course, you know, your students, your students at E-B-I-N-C, and you're getting prepared for ministry, and you're getting prepared for life, and they make you take tests here, don't they? Come on, you can groan. You can just groan. They make you take tests, usually way too many tests. How many of you think, let's take a vote, way too many tests? But why do they do that? Why do we test anything? It's so that we might know that you know the stuff that we're trying to impart, right? And so when it comes to our commitment for God and with God and in God, this, the same is true. Our commitment of God, it's, it's, we, we'll never know how deeply we are committed to his ways. We'll never know how deeply we committed we are to his purposes until those ways and those purposes and those opportunities are tested. Some of you are going through tests right now. Some of you are going through tests in regards to your commitment to God and your follow-through and all of that. And I really want to challenge you this morning that, 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 that the only commitment to God that will make a real difference in a hostile culture is the one that has passed the test. So when God takes you through a trial or he takes you through difficulty and it requires that you hold steady to your commitment, don't misunderstand what God is trying to do in your life. What he's trying to do is bring you to a place where your commitment to God is so well tested that you can stand in the midst of even a hostile situation and not falter. And there are certain things that we immediately see in Daniel's life that, that help us to understand just what these tests look like. The first one I would point you to is the one that I call the authenticity test. Daniel was extremely committed to God personally. He had, you know, we talk about having a personal relationship with God, but I, I want to, to ask you, how authentic is your relationship to Jesus. How real is it? If it was tested, how would you find yourself coming out on the other side? How many of you know how to test the authenticity of a $1 bill? The person who knows this will get this dollar bill. How do you, how do you test the authenticity of a dollar bill? Can you come here and say that so everyone can hear you? Wow! Uh, if you hold it up to the light, there should be another face of George Washington, like kind of shadowed on the side. Yeah, so you, there you go. Yeah, I'm a big spender. <laughs> but you hold it up to the light. You hold it up to the light, and what happens is in the process of holding up to the light, there's watermarks that test and show the authenticity of a $1 bill. Now, I had no idea how that illustration would go. I, don't, I didn't know if there would be a whole bunch of tests and I'd be giving out a whole bunch of dollar bills, so I didn't start with a 10 because that would have bankrupt me big time. But. 
So here's the test. The test of your authenticity, of your commitment to God, is revealed when things in your life are tested and you are required to take a stand in regards to your personal relationship with him. Notice what happens in verse 4. It says, So the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find no charge or fault. In other words, this guy was excellent. He was, he was all about doing it right. But because they could find no charge, and they knew that he was faithful, and there was no error or fault to be found in him, then they said, you know what? We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. In other words, unless we can set up a scenario where, where he has to either take a stand for what he believes or compromise what he believes. That's the only way we're going to trip this guy up because he is so excellent in everything that he does. And so they set this thing up. You all, I think, know the story how they say, listen, let's, let's make a law that, that we can only pray to God. Uh, to, to the king. Uh, and, and anybody else that prays to any other god, let's throw them in the lion's den. That's the whole story of the lion's den. And I love what the story says. He was so personally committed to Jesus that he did not falter in his commitment to him. That's authenticity. And there will be times in your life where, where your reputation for serving God will be put on the line. And my question is, what is your reputation for serving God? See, he, he didn't keep his relationship with God in the secret place alone. He was the real deal. I value the secret place. But this Daniel, when he prayed, he would open the windows and let everybody see. He was authentic in regards to his relationship with God. Because for him, relationship with God was a personal issue. How do you carry your personal relationship with Jesus? That's an important thing. That's, you want to be an influencer? You want to be somebody who touches the world for Jesus? It's going to be tested through the authenticity of your relationship with God. You cannot fake your relationship with God. You cannot delegate your relationship with God to someone else. You have to personally own it. I want to challenge you to really wrestle with that concept and that idea. To personally own your relationship with Jesus. The second thing that I want you to see is the intimacy test. Okay, Daniel was committed to God in prayer. The greatest priority that this man has was to grow in intimacy with God. And the way that you grow in intimacy with God is in and from the place of prayer. I want to I suggest to you that many times we try to navigate our Christianity by just doing more stuff and getting recognized for what we do. And I'm not against doing stuff. We do a lot of stuff. But if it isn't from the place of intimacy, then what happens is we burn out. We just, we just falter. We can't keep it up. It's just too difficult. But here we read, as we read on, that, that three times a day, Daniel would go to the place of prayer in verse 10. It says three times a day he would get down on his knees and he would give thanks to his God just as he had always done. 
When you're going through difficulty and when you're facing pressure and when things are, are coming at you because of your faith, what is your immediate response to that? Do you want to retreat? Do you want to pull back? Do you want to quit? Or do you go back to the place of prayer and do you stay committed to that relationship with Jesus? I, I can't tell you how valuable the place of intimacy with God is in your life. It's not just about getting through Bible school, folks. It's not just about finding your first place of ministry. It's not just about settling into that place of ministry and getting things done. It's about maintaining in authenticity and intimacy your commitment to Jesus Christ. So we see Daniel, he, he is just there. Daniel's commitment to God didn't waver in the public because his commitment to prayer didn't waver in the private place. Intimacy with God is only formed in a personal habit of prayer. And then number three, I see this thing that I call the loyalty test. The loyalty test. So he had authenticity test, he had the intimacy test, and now the loyalty test. And the loyalty test goes something like this. It, 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 it challenges your commitment to God under pressure. A lot of times when pressure happens in your life, when pressure comes your way, whether you're uh, just a follower of Jesus, whether you're a leader in the body of Christ, it doesn't matter. When pressure comes your way, it will test just how deeply committed you are to the cause. And pressure sometimes comes from a lot of different things. It, it, it can come from, pressure can come from, um, how, many of you ever, how many of you ever preached? How many of you ever fallen flat on your face when you preached? Okay. How many of you, while you were preaching, the pressure was, what is everybody thinking right now? That's a heavy pressure, isn't it? You just, you're sitting there, you're going like, I know I prepared, I know I got ready, I'm, and, and the pressure of that. But listen, if the pressure causes you to try to evaluate how well you're doing by everybody's expressions, good luck. Good luck because people's expressions never really tell you what's going on in the inside of their heart. And you might be hitting something, you might be hitting a core, chord in them, and you're thinking, I'm not doing really well. And the pressure will cause you to back off of what God has asked you to actually say. But if you are loyal to the king, and you are loyal to Jesus, and, and you've, you've bathed that relationship in the place of intimacy, and you are just being as real as you can be. One of the things that I love about my wife and the way she ministers, you can't find somebody who's going to be more real with you when she talks to you. Who chuckled over here? You must know her. She's just really real, and, and part of... Part of you know, being in relationship with God and being one who follows the Lord is, is just when the pressure is on, who are you? We used to do this illustration when we were in youth ministry. We've been youth pastors. We've been associate pastors. We've been assistant pastors. We've been senior pastors. 
We used to do this illustration with the teenagers to try to get this thing home, and we would, we would have a sponge, and we would fill it to point, a point of saturation. How many of you have ever seen this illustration? And then ask them to squeeze it. And say, okay, what happened when you squeezed it? Well, inevitably, when you squeeze it, what happens? Whatever, whatever it has saturated that sponge comes out, right? That's the point of that illustration. But time and time again, I always chuckled because they were always looking for a deeper meaning. So they, always, they didn't ever speak of the obvious. They always just went a whole lot deeper. And I said, no, the reason, the reason it came out is because you squeezed it. And the issue that I'm trying to drive home with you today is your commitment to God will be proven, it will be tested in those pressurized situations. Daniel saw incredible pressure in his life. We, we are living in an age, we are living in an hour where to embrace ministry out in the public, to do some of the things that we do as a church, uh, right in our little town of Canandaigua, we experience incredible pushback sometimes, incredible pressure, especially even when we know that God has called us to do a specific type of ministry and a specific type of a way of doing ministry. And, and so we begin to start moving towards it. We begin to start doing it, and immediately pressure comes our way, pushback comes our way. I want to I tell you something about ministry. Ministry is not always easy. Sometimes you have to press through, and, and when that pressure comes your way, here's the test. How committed are you to what God has asked you to be and what God has asked you to do? How many of you have ever thought about quitting Bible school just because there was a little bit of pressure? See, if you're here, it's because God's called you here. Because you're called here, why don't you take the pressure that you're experiencing in your life and press all the way through and watch how God causes you to become a greater influencer with the people that are around you. Your commitment to God will be tested through pressure. You don't really know if somebody is committed until their commitment is tested under pressure. How many of you ever heard of a fellow by the name of C.T. Studd? C.T. Studd, uh, very famous. He was, a, he was an Englishman, a uh, very wealthy Englishman who sold everything he had to go on uh, the mission field. And he went to China and he went to India and uh, had an ex uh, incredible influence and, and impact in those nations. But he always struggled with his health. His, his health was always an issue. In fact, his, some of his friends described him as a museum of diseases. I mean, this, this guy just really, really had a tough time. So he came back uh, to his homeland uh, to get checked out and to get a little better. But then in the midst of that, he, was, he sensed that God was now calling him to Africa. And uh, he was 50 years old at the time, uh, still struggling with some health issues, uh, but he had, he had a vision to go someplace. He had a vision to go to Africa and, and advance the gospel there. And the, some of his supporters said, listen, we'll get behind you. We'll, we'll help you in this endeavor, but you have to get cleared by a doctor before we'll let you go. And uh, he wasn't. He, he, was, he had so many issues going on in his life, there was no doctor that would clear him. And so all those people who said that they would financially support them, they withheld their support and they pulled back. But here's what C.T. Studd did. 
He knew that God had called him to do that. And so he faced the pressure and he went anyway. And he established what is known as the WEC, the WIC International, a ministry, a very large ministry in Africa. He did that before he died. You see, the loyalty test, he would rather be loyal to God than to give up the call that God had placed on his life. What are you succumbing to? What pressures are you allowing to keep you from moving into the totality of what God has called you to. I want to ask you to stand to your feet um, this morning, this afternoon, as I wrap my thoughts up. And Joan, do, would you mind just jumping on a keyboard or a piano? And, and here's, here's what I want to just throw out there. And I hope I connected with you uh, in, in going through this. And, and I hope I challenged you to look at the life of Daniel a little bit. Let me just say that, that what I'm talking about, what I'm driving after with you, is that, that becoming an influencer in a hostile culture, it's not easy, but it's what God's called us to. We're called to influence wherever we find ourselves. We're called to bring the kingdom of God wherever we find ourselves. And, and I'm, I'm wanting you to understand that that calling, it's one thing to understand that calling. It's another thing to start pressing into it. Because when you press into it, there will come pressure, there will come hostility, there will come really difficult times. And the thing that will hold you steady in all of that is your commitment to God. The authenticity of the call of God on your life is tested. My question to you this morning is, is in the test, how are you finding yourself? When you're held up against the light, is the very image of God being reflected in you and through you? Are you staying intimate? Are you staying close to the Lord? Oh, but, but Chris, you don't understand. My studies, I, I, I've, got a stu I've got books to read. I've got this to do. I've got, listen, you cannot, I cannot afford to let go of my intimacy with God. Because I'm never going to make it. I'm not going to be able to do the assignment that he's given me if I put intimacy with him in a secondary place. Is your commitment to God being tested these days? Do you find that maybe you're faltering a little bit? Maybe, maybe you're softening under the pressure? Maybe the idea of following through some of the things that God has put on your heart. Maybe you're letting go of, of maybe a dream. You came here with one dream, an idea of ministry, but oh, it's become so hard. It's become so difficult that maybe, you know, maybe this isn't for me. Listen. It's in those times where the pressure is on and it's a little difficult and there's pushback coming your way. That's the test. Am I going to stay and be authentic to the call? Am I going to dig in and be, be, be intimate with God and ask Him, God, what are you doing here? And am I going to stay loyal to the one who has called me, the one who has saved me, the one who has fashioned me, the one who is setting up assignments for me so that I might be the one who influences maybe one but maybe no less than 10,000. Even the shyest among us in the course of our lifetime are going to have opportunity to influence at least 10,000 people. Listen, 
That to you may sound like a pipe dream. When this former hippie, drug addict, alcoholic got saved, got redeemed, got delivered, all I was hoping for was going to heaven. But God had a different plan. And here's the plan. My wife and I had no idea what God had planned for us. And I have no idea what God has planned for you. But if you will hold steady in your commitment to him, you have no idea what he will do for you and with you and in you and through you. Joan and I, when we got saved, we just wanted to attend a church and serve in whatever capacity God allowed us to serve. And like you, like you heard, we've traveled to a number of continents. We've been in a number of foreign nations. We're pastoring a thriving, energetic, spirit-filled church. We found ourselves speaking in conferences of hundreds, sometimes thousands of people. And I've asked myself sometimes, how did I get here? How did this happen? And I'm not saying it just to, 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 to kind of puff myself up. What I'm, what I'm trying to get through to you is if God can use me in that way, he can use you. But it's going to boil down to your commitment. So this morning, if, if your commitment has been faltering a little bit, softening a little bit, your follow-through isn't what it is and, or should be, and you want a richer, fuller commitment to the, to the Lord so that the, 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 the doors of greater influence might open to you, I'm going to ask you to come to the front, and we're just going to close in prayer. I want to pray over you. How many of you are feeling a little bit of pressure to be who God's called you to be? It just it seems like I know what he's called me to be, but this is getting really hard. Who, who's feeling that right now? Okay. That's real, isn't it? It's a real pressure. It's, we, we can't just make it go away. We can't just go to sleep and wake up the next day and it's gone. It's still there. But I'm telling you, my brother, if you will hold steady in your commitment to God, You'll strive for authenticity there. You go deep in your intimacy with him and stay loyal to what he's called you to. Stay loyal. Don't ever cave in. You're going to be different. The culture's really hostile right now, and you take a stand for Jesus, and you're going to be called all kinds of things. The least of those is you're going to be called a hater at times because you take a stand for righteousness. And you say, no, that kind of behavior is not right behavior. This is what righteousness looks like, and I'm just calling you to it. And listen, I've done that on the streets of Canandaigua, and I've been confronted, and I've been called a hater for doing that. I don't hate anybody. I want to see people come to Christ. I want to see people set free. I want to see addictions drop off and fall off. I want to see it. How many of you want to see those kind of things? That's what we're called to do. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. But it's not going to happen if, if, if we just kind of sit back a little bit. We find our nice little comfortable bubble, our Christian bubble, you know, our Christian coffee shop. We settle in. Let's have a nice discussion about Jesus here. I love those times too. But listen, there's a moment 
where you have to face the hostility of the culture that God has placed you in, and you have to be like Daniel and say, you know what, I'm not changing anything. I know you're saying that I shouldn't pray to this God, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to open the windows and I'm going to watch you. I'm going to let you watch me do it three times a day. I'm going to pray to the God that I love. I'm going to stay faithful in my commitment. Can I just pray with you guys and thank you for being open and responsive today. I just, I, I really believe that, that every one of you here, you, you have, and you've heard this said probably a hundred times, you have a destiny in God. You have a purpose in God. Don't give up on it. Don't quit just because it's tough. Don't quit just because there's pushback. Don't quit just because things have gotten a little hostile around you. You look at the nation and you're saying our nation's being torn apart. Listen, I believe that you're being formed, I speak this prophetically now, for such a time as this. I believe that many of you in this room, the Father wants to launch out into places where you might influence the corruption, where you might influence the darkness, where you might influence the deception and become voices that declare the good news of Jesus Christ. You're not here by mistake. And the things that are going through, you're going through in your life are, are, are not necessarily, some of them are your fault, but not all of them. Sometimes we just do stuff that gets us in trouble. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those pressures that come to test our faith, to test our commitment to God. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I look at these that are just here today. They love you. and They're committed to you. Some of them are feeling the pressure of the moment. Some of them are feeling the, 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 the difficulty of the hour. But, Father, in the name of Jesus, I just speak a fresh resolve over their hearts. Lord, I pray that where their commitment has softened, where their follow-through has not been as strong, where they've wanted to, to quit or just back up a little bit, Father, I pray for a fresh resolve of the Holy Spirit to come into their hearts. That, Lord, they, they would rise from this moment knowing, God, that a new door of influence has opened to them, a new opportunity for them to touch people's hearts for the goodness and glory of God. Just reach out and take a hand of somebody that you're next to. Come on, we're in this together. I'm sure there were times that Daniel felt very alone. But one of the beautiful things of the body of Christ is I want you to look around the room right now, and we're all in this together. Amen? What a mighty army is in this room right now. And so I just want to encourage all of you. You have no idea the journey that God's going to take you on. You have no idea the countries you're going to find yourself in or the people you're going to be speaking to. Joan and I have stood before kings. We've stood before presidents. I'm like, how did I get here? And I'm sure that there were times where Daniel said, how did I get here? And here's the thing I want you to hear. It's the favor of God. Just position yourself. 
to be a recipient of the favor of God. And watch his favor begin to open doors for you. Watch his favor move in your life. Watch his favor take you into places, into situations, into cities, into villages, into countries that you never imagined you would be able to get into or go to. Watch him use you in the city that you live in in the United States and watch him use you powerfully. You're like, why me, God? And he says, because you've positioned yourself correctly. You've positioned yourself to be a recipient of my favor. So, Father, I just ask right now, God, as they stand in sincerity before you, all of these students, Father, I ask that they would begin to experience a fresh measure of your favor upon their lives. And it would lift them and encourage them. In Jesus' name, amen.